Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Empire Podcast. My name is Ali Plum and I am joined by one colleague of such lethal cunning. His name's Phil DeSemelin and as we are at Comic-Con this very day, this very week, he got things a little bit wrong and unfortunately came in cosplay as a book. Which book did he go for, Phil? Which book did I get? The Communist Manifesto. A very interesting. Choice. Yes. Well, I thought commie. I thought it was something to do with the communist thing. Ah, uh, you thought it this was is the, all new to me. You thought it was the commie con. Commie con. Sorry, Phil. But they've stopped doing that. I understand. Yes, that's that was banned. Uh, so no, I. But that's fine. Tomorrow, Nosferatu. Excellent. They'll yes. love that. They're gonna love that on the floor of uh, of uh, of the uh, San Diego Convention Center. Um, you're wearing a very natty. Um, Jeff Lebowski meets Scott Pilgrim t-shirt, which I, which I like very much. Jeff Lebowski versus the world, yes. Mm. Uh, it is, of course, Comic-Con, and we're going to be especially nerdy. And who are the nerdiest people that you could associate with the Empire podcast? There could be Helen, the mother of dragons. It could be Chris, a man who thinks in box office figures, specifically through the lens of Marvel. Could it be James, who quotes Terminator... Every single day of his life. No, it's Phil the Salmon and Ali Plum. Two people generally aware of geek geek culture. And here we are, being even more <laughs> generally aware than normal. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about news, the reviews of this week. But this is Thursday night. We're in our hotel room on a Thursday night talking about everything that's happened up until this point. We can't predict quite what will happen tomorrow. Though there will be Star Wars and there will be... Batman versus Superman. Yes. Man from Uncle. So many other things. Unfortunately, Pan. Pan there you Pan. go. Uh, we will uh, do another very much Comic Con orientated podcast next week, next Friday, hosted by Chris, of course, in the studio back in London. In the meantime, this podcast episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the uh, simple and easy way to make a fast and reliable, pretty site. Use the Empire offer code. Empire, E-M-P-I-R-E, at the checkout to get 10% off. So you'll hear me again talking about the science of how to do that later on. I was just going to chip in and say it's also brought to brought to the listeners by sleep deprivation. Yes. Um, not in a commercial capacity. Um, so please bear with us for any for any rambling, but we should try and be we should try and be concise. So what's been your highlight so far? Well, we've been here two and a bit days, being generous there, maybe two days tops. Hall H is the big room that we'll talk about a lot. That's the massive auditorium where the big panels are held. And then there's the floor. Sorry if I'm teaching people how to uh, suck eggs here. But then there's the floor, which feels like a mile long and is probably only just half a mile long, which is full of comic books, studio stands, all sorts of drawings and artwork and artistry and Chewbacca rucksacks and a giant speeder with a girl pretending to be Ray on it. Everything you can think of. There's even a gaming section. It's an incredible mecca of geekdom. Everyone knows that. To answer your question, I think walking into the Comic-Con auditorium for the first time I've, I've been there like two minutes we just walked in together we still mm. had our wheelie suitcases because mm. no. a classy look suitcases have wheels these days what were we cosplaying as in that instance um, up in the air yes or journalists we just about nailed it and we walk into the legendary section which of course is currently plugging next year's big blockbuster for them Warcraft. Yes. And we walk in and suddenly we have these VR virtual reality things on our faces. We're riding a griffin. It's yes. It's the most amazing experience. There's Orgrim Doomhammer with this humongous <laughs> Doomhammer uh, 
threatening to hit us with it. I have to say, I've never been to Comic-Con before, quite clearly. And uh, having flown from London, and then we, we flew to LA, and then we got the train down, we got the Amtrak down to San Diego, which is another two and a half hours. And then we got a taxi, and then we went straight into the legendary booth. And they gave us the virtual reality goggles. And I'm like, this is wasted on me. I'm already in virtual reality. Yeah. I just don't know what's happening. You're just sparkly. I just don't know what's happening. And people were coming up and say, come and, come and, come and talk to Duncan Jones. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm in any fit shape to talk to Duncan Jones. Duncan, if you're listening, we'd just like to apologize for the interview because it was a great interview as it turned out. But he may have been watching both of our eyes and our heads twist in the wrong direction because we were just so tired. Thank you for yeah. being patient with us. Well, he was lovely, and 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 uh, winningly, he was wearing his own Twitter um, avatar, avatar, his Twitter avatar on his T-shirt. Wonderful. I, I mean, if that were me, it would be me sitting doing a Q and A at the Apple Store, but just on my shirt. Yes, I wanted to retweet his T-shirt. Yes, but he thought it was weird. He just poked and his I just belly started button. poking his belly button. Yeah, um, he. He was great, and also you remember when he came when you came to Comic Con previously, and he was here spooking uh, Warcraft for the first time. This is his third year, and he said that they've basically locked the movie. They've got ten VFX shots to to sort of place in it, and then it's done, and then it's not released for another eleven months, which is very unusual. And so you got a sneaky scoop there, didn't you? I don't know if it was just me, but he mentioned when he was talking that he he's going to use that time to maybe squeeze in another indie sci-fi, a smaller film. He pointed out that he made Moon in 11 months or less. Yeah, that was under. easy, wasn't it? Easy peasy. It's got to find yourself two Sam Rockwells. That's the key. Yeah, that can both dance. Both of them can dance and play ping pong. Um, and uh, he's looking to revisit Mute, um, Mute, which is a film that he was originally talking about after the Moon. Um, it's a kind of a Blade Runner homage uh, set in a future Berlin. Um, and it's kind of got a sort of gumshoe, um, sort of mystery... Uh, enigmatic air to it I mean we don't know quite where he's at with it but he sounds like he's already sort of done a lot of the pre-prep and he could turn it around pretty quickly so that is something that he is looking at doing um, in the meantime might finish it before Warham- uh, Warcraft even comes out I love that for him a quickie is a you know it's just a Blade Runner homage it's just a little sci-fi I'll just bash that out that, yeah. you know no no probs yeah Duncan no what are you doing tonight do you want to come to the pub oh, I can't man. I've got to make a couple of movies yeah I'm just going to couple of movies just get them out and uh but maybe see down later for half yeah tell me about what what your big amazing experience so far has been well it's all of it really i think i know i'm sort of pigeonholed as being the art house the art house man and i did indeed find a i just used the word indeed i did find a um bella labette poster just to keep the end up um <clears throat> but i've just had a great time so far i mean last night was a bit of a it is intense there's a lot of there's a lot of queues. People just form queues. I think if you just stood in the road, people would like a thousand people would be behind you. Everyone here, everyone who comes to Comic Con is a queue of one. Yes, that's ready, true. Ready to become a queue. I am of two, ready three, to queue. Yes, that makes it sound like the human centipede. But I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm in a nice way. Tell me about your experience in Hall H. You were doing Mockingjay Part Two. Yeah, that was this. That was this afternoon, about noon. Mockingjay. My first ever entrance to Hall H, and, and I was braced for it to be big, but it is unbelievable. Like sort of four aircraft ca- aircraft carriers stitched together, um, and yeah, they, it was it was it was a pretty incredible experience. Really, it started with a kind of um, Caesar Flickerman style uh, drum procession of the of the 
a um, squad, are they called Squad 451? They're all dressed in white. They appear in the new trailer and I think they're, they're, they're part of the assault on the Capitol. So they're all kind of like cosplaying, coming in from the back of the room, which gave it a sense of sort of spectacle and every, anticipation as well. And then there was like four, it was like Stomp, basically. You remember Stomp, the, the drumming thing? I remember it. I go there every You're in week. it? Yeah. Yeah. Not in, yeah. Well, that, basically. They're standing at the front, banging the drums. In, from the back come the other guys. I remember the Beastie Boys doing something similar at a gig I went to. Um, it was very cool. And then um, Conan O'Brien came on, pointed out to the younger viewers that he's not actually in the movie, and introduced Francis Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence, Liam Hemsworth. Um, Martin and Lawrence, of course. Martin Lawrence. Yep. <laughs> All the Lawrences, yeah. Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie. People just beginning in L. Yep. Um, and... They, they came out and, you know, these things are, I mean, I say, I speak from limited experience, but these things are, they're not so newsy, I don't think. The, the producer was there and she was making the point that uh, someone someone asked, I mean, I haven't read the final book, but I understand that between the end of the the end of the battle and the epilogue, there's there's a sort of a lull. And she was asked about how they were going to fill the lull. Um, and they, and she was talking about basically that it's the, the, the film is about uh, the consequences of war. So it gives us some time for the emotional kind of, wrap up and uh probably the newsiest thing kind of that came out of it was from from her but really it was in a kind of an emotional uh discussion and jennifer lawrence was hilarious it was really about wrapping up the the franchise and how they're all they're all feel, feelings for it were I, she's hilarious I, I think and also she could probably walk out in front of hall h and just lob live grenades into the audience and still be beloved um great throw yeah wow boom i love the way you've exploded my limbs um no she's she's so, she she made the point at one stage. Someone asked her whether what her sort of favourite abiding memory of of, of all the films um, of all of the seventeen Hunger Game movies, and she genuinely couldn't remember. She said the Goblet of Fire. Didn't she, she said, "Yeah, I think she did. Yeah, the Order of the Phoenix, or you know, Breaking Dawn Part Two. Indulgent. Yeah. I she could not remember. She and then she said, oh, "I'm really." She said, "I can't. I just this whole the whole period of my life." I can't remember any of it at the moment. And then she said, I'm really sorry. I haven't done any interviews for a year. Um, and I'm doing a really terrible job. But if you just go, she's just so funny. And the way she was into it. They, they clearly get on really well, uh, Josh Hutchinson, Liam Hemsworth and her. And, and they have a lot of fun together. She's the best. Uh, there was actually an image. So many great photos have come out of Comic-Con so far. And by the way, guys, if you're expecting us to say, and here's a question from a Twitter user at I Love Comic-Con. Not going to happen. We're just going to do some general Comic-Con chit-chat. Hope you don't mind. I know the horse has bolted here, but we're just going to carry on. Jennifer Lawrence, wonderful. Also here this morning was Bill freaking Murray who was here to promote Rock the Casbah, which is his movie uh, about being this music agent producer type man. Right. Bill Murray's there. Jennifer Lawrence has been asked before on the red carpet. I've seen the interview where someone asked her, pretty good question, I think, if you could have a beer with anyone in the world, totally pie in the sky, who do you want to have a beer with? And she just went straight out, Bill Murray. So she meets Bill Murray at Comic-Con. And this is great photograph of her pointing in front of Bill Murray at Bill Murray and gurning for the camera. <laughs> Genius. Wonderful person. Someone, someone asked her about that at the press conference after the Hall H presentation. And she said that she had been communicating with Bill Murray, but via Woody Harrelson. She would send Woody Harrelson emails that he would forward on to Bill Murray. And then she sort of paused and went, mostly when I'm drunk. <laughs> so, so that, yeah, they had a kind of a... I do this crazy thing when I'm drunk, right? Yeah, I get so plastered, I end up like emailing bill murray you know what i mean yeah she may be one of those people who does less crazy things when she's drunk <laughs> <laughs> i don't know 
Uh, I got so drunk last night, I made my bed. Oh, Yeah, then I clean the whole house. Actually, I've done that, in fairness. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun. Virtually every single person in that room had read the book, I think. So it's there's not a lot of kind of what happens type stuff it's yeah. more the, the the kind of the nuance of how they're gonna how they're gonna show it but it sounds like we saw we saw the trailer the new trailer they showed it twice and that looks really good it looks kind of i thought the last film was boring as brass but this one looks like it's gonna have a lot of the stuff we've been waiting for the battles and and, and interestingly um the the capital and snow they, they tr- it's almost like the, the the assault on the capital is another hunger game in fact they describe it as such it's like welcome to the 73rd hunger games and this is the last one but there's still the booby traps there's still a lot of the same kind of ideas at play so um yeah i'm quite looking forward to it the trailer looks good it'll be online by the time people can hear oh, this sure 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 uh, I had the other side of the coin myself. No, you went to a. a, a I didn't ask. I'm so rude. No, How was your day? Good. No, it's fine. It's fine. No, we're all tired. We are in Hall H. I was for the panel on Doctor Who, where no one, not a man, will say anything about the new series because Doctor Who, right? You don't actually want to know. So you have a whole auditorium of people champing at the bit to find out anything about Doctor Who, though they don't really want to know, and yet they really do want to know. And Stephen Moffat would love to tell you, but actually would hate to tell you. So yes, writer, showrunner, very loquacious man, Stephen Moffat was kind of holding court with Peter Capaldi, uh, his first trip as the Doctor or as a human to Comic-Con. What kind of reaction did he get? People love him. Now, I hadn't fully... I mean, I'd watched some, some episodes of the new series... But I hadn't fully appreciated how he'd become, you know, part of the fold. They like his curmudgeon, grumpiness. They don't know whether he's good or bad yet. He's, he's a prickly personality. And I think people are really, like, getting something out of that. Anyway, he loved it. He obviously had a really great time. He was there with Michelle Gomez, obviously the master, but in a female form. And uh, Jenna Coleman was there too. Uh, and then I had Sherlock later, where... Unfortunately, Benedict Cumberbatch couldn't make it, nor could Martin Freeman, nor could Andrew Scott in the last minute couldn't make it snafu. Uh, And it was, again, that man Moffat, Sue Virtue, who produces the show, and uh, Rupert... Rupert Graves. Graves. I saw Rupert Graves this very morning. He's extraordinarily handsome. He's still extraordinarily handsome. You had quite a lot of breakfast fun this morning. Well, yeah. You were having your huevos vancheros. I was having... I was doing some work, Phil. Were you? No. I was just I was just trying to beat my sort of land speed record of pancakes, but there was yeah Jonathan Ross and then the Moffat Capaldi um, sort of godhead turned up for experience. porridge. The, the Moffat Capaldi experience. It's like a seventies prog rock collective. It's really good. I would buy that album, um, and um, and then uh, yeah, but Rupert Graves and Rupert Graves. He was sitting on a different table because he's just a bit too debonair yeah. to be near other humans that early in the morning. Sure, because it burns the skin. Being that suave, um, so yes. And then I was going, I was coming down to rejoin you and you know put a shift in, do some work in the lift, and in came Moffat and and um, Jenna Coleman piled in, and uh, one of the PR reps, and I was holding the lift for them, and then they were like, "Where's Peter? Oh, Peter's gone to the loo. He's wandered off." And they all piled out again, and I was like, "I'll wait for you. Seriously, it's not a problem." Peter, Peter, lost the news. You've lost the lift. Um, so that was unusual, but that's it's an unusual sort of place to be, I think. In, in a normal day, that would be the weirdest thing ever, but just oh, you no, know, being in close proximity with, with those cool people. But um, Today, I saw a man dressed as Tars from Interstellar. 
walking, quote unquote, walking around the floor. And I went, well, that's my best thing today. Oh, no, no, it's not that. It was the trio of Elsas I met. It's probably them. So many Wolverines. Uh, actually, a surprising number of Mad Maxes and, joyously, Imperator Furiosas, Ooh. who've shaved their hair off <laughs> and then put the kind of burnt, like, charcoal paint on. The level of effort that goes into the costumes. I know, it's lovely. Everybody's really friendly. I mean, everybody's here because they love it every aspect and they're just in good spirits and it feels like everyone's on a holiday even if you're working um which we are and i know that because i keep getting emails addressed to dear journalist dear journalist dear journalist you, you are required be... to report on this panel <laughs> would you like to come to our panel tomorrow night at 1am about books 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 i mean i just I, the dear journalist thing kind of throws me a little bit i just like the same sentence the wrong person that's that, that's not how you spell <laughs> phil at all come on but um yeah every yeah it's just a lovely kind of uh atmosphere of enthusiasm i understand saturday is going to be even crazier is that it's correct it's going to be super mega full-on wow it's going to be tell your hair out amazing uh you will be stamping the feet on the floor and there will be the screaming and the crying and everyone loves that so it's good well, I we, bought my stamping shoes, so that works. Oh, brilliant. I'm so glad you packed The weirdest that. thing I saw today was, and this isn't very radio-friendly, but there's a picture here of, it's, it's, you, you would vouch for the fact that that is... An incredibly fat Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger. He's got high on his own supply. Enormous, sort of life-size. I guess it's not really a tiger. He's going to need a grastric band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, exactly. As I said, a grastric band. Um, $8,000. I just, I, first of all, is that canon? It's a snip at twice is the price. That, is that, I mean, hmm. The Tony the Tiger I remember from the serial ads was a man of, a tiger of action. He was a svelte. He was, what has happened to him in the interim? Where has he been? I think he's been in like, I think he's been on the entourage yacht. He's not looking well. Anyway, so there's, there's a life-size Tony the Tiger and a life-size Mario right behind him who's actually looking like Twiggy by comparison. So that was weird. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll have a full gallery up on the website when we meet somebody. You will have to spend a good long while. There's some really fun stuff to a check out. A whole family came as different members of the Mad Max canon. A whole family. They they straddled the the sort of the different divides, didn't they? Yeah. There were some good ones and some all mixed up together. It's wonderful. It'd be an interesting family Christmas that one. It's time for an interview. We have an interview which we pre-recorded. Uh, that is to say, I recorded. I interviewed Seth MacFarlane and Mark Wahlberg. One is the uh, director and star and also producer of TED2. The other one is just the star of TED2. I'll, I'll let you work out who's who. I was talking to them in a hotel in central, swanky central London. they just walked out of a press conference and I think had been a little bit discombobulated by some of the truly awful questions that they'd been asked. And here I was supplying some more. So do please enjoy this. Uh, and uh, and we'll see you after this brief message from those guys. My first question is on behalf of The Hoff, who I interviewed just a few days ago. Oh, nice. and he's very excited about his appearance in this movie. He was over the moon, wedding himself, oh, happy to be seen in this He's going to be thrilled when, when he sees it. Yeah, he's going to stomp his feet. He's amazing, isn't he? He was aware that he'd been cut out. Okay, he was aware. Okay. But he was, he was just kind of coming to terms with the fact. He will be on the Blu-ray release. That's, that that's scene will be in the wonderful. extended edition. So Could you tell me a bit about it? There's what? always a life after, after uh, a, a deleted scene. 
It's, it's a, the Knight Rider panel at Comic-Con. He's, uh, ah. He has a bit of an emotional moment with Kit, um, as, <laughs> as he recalls a uh, time when, uh, or Kit recalls a time when Hasselhoff loaned him some money when he was in kind of a rough place in his career after Knight Rider, and it, it eventually turns into an altercation between Kit and Ted. I have to compliment you both on making a film which is essentially, you could have done anything with Ted 2. You could have done whatever genre, whatever pastiche you could have done. And you went for, stop me if I'm wrong, legal drama. Well, we got to wait for Ted 10 to Ted yeah. goes to college. <laughs> yeah. What was the origin of this particular take on Ted 2? Where, where did it come from? Ted 2 was originally supposed to be kind of a, was it Cannibal Run? Was that the movie? Yeah. Really? Road movie. Yeah, where, they, where John and Ted take a pot shipment across the country and we had a whole outline for it but then where the millers came out and that was essentially the same thing and it was around the time that i was doing a million ways to die in the west and i was i was on my off hours re- reading the uh the, the john jake's north and south civil war series and and there was a it was a section about dread scott uh and and i remembered learning about that in history class and it was the slave who sued the Supreme Court for his civil rights for, for his uh, rights as a person and lost and I thought you know that would actually make a really good story for the sequel it's kind of completely different from the first it's a character it's a, it's a story you could only tell with with uh, with a talking teddy bear in 2015 uh, how did you take that mark were you like yep this is what I was expecting yep sign me up loved it I was thrilled I was mm. like you know I've never done a sequel in all the movies that I've done throughout my entire career. And it was just like, it's really only worth doing it if you can make it better than the first. Make it its own thing. Um, and when you told me, I was very excited. That said, you maybe might have enjoyed the road trip, like, practically. Maybe that would have been a bit more fun. But they wouldn't have been, had to, you know, wouldn't have been semen all over you. No, I wouldn't have been in a courtroom with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, the semen all over you one, I did feel like, you know, you suffer for your art. And then there's being inside. What's even the rooms? This guy's a fucking trooper. He's a real hero. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you were like, yeah, that's take one. We're going to do this four, five, six more times. We we, we did as few as, as, uh, (laughs) as few as we could. Now, obviously we have Flash Gordon again here. There are talks of a Flash Gordon reboot. Do you guys have any thoughts on what you'd do with a reboot? With Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, that's that's the talk. Does that happen? Yeah. I think so. Well, I think the first thing you got to do is, is recast Sam Jones. That's Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> that is a must. I mean, it's like it's like you cannot you you cannot remake a classic without having him actually playing the part. That's actually a good point, huh? You do it for twenty five million. Yeah. Yeah. Mid. Yeah, it's got to be Sam. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not have Sam Jones come back as Flash Gordon in the same spandex, suit. the same suit? Got to get back. Back in, into the action for some threat or other. No, he's got to get back to now play in the playoffs for the Jets. Of course. It's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. a football movie. Yeah. yeah. In the sequence where you see in Comic-Con, you see Sam like, having the fake photo thing. Did, I mean, was that like art imitating life? Did you sympathize with him, that whole, please have a photograph with me, and suddenly you have to turn on that fake smile of, yeah, huh, yeah, I'm oh, here. Oh, I loved how he was kind of like pushing people out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I think, you know, he embraced it wholeheartedly, and um, he's a method actor. Yeah. He was there in the moment. Yeah, he's done it. He's been there. There is an opening credit sequence. Can I have the TED musical? I heard that in France, too. Hey, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I'm them that. 
I don't think you'll ever see a Ted musical. I think that would be a square peg in a round hole. But, I, you know, I was just trying to do something that would open in a big flashy way to kind of sell the fact that this is a sequel that's going to be even bigger than the first one. Sure. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was I always kind of had the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in my head. I had that big opening number that that uh, that that's, that uh, you know Spielberg is a big fan of that genre, and mm-hmm. so it's it's clear where it came from, uh, and it just it just is very memorable memorable to me. So you know, it just seem it, we just wanted to do something that was something that would would, would kind of give a little fanfare. Dodge that bullet. There was no singing or dancing for you, Mark. You just oh, I did sing and dance, but we cut it. No, Everybody's song, yeah. yeah. Tell me. John and Ted do a... Uh, actually, that'll be on the uh, Blu-ray as well. Hit me. What happens? John, John, give me and, your teeth. John and Ted do sort of a... Uh, big band. Yeah. Sort of a, a big band. Big band version of the Thunder Buddies song. At the wedding reception. Mark, Mark was great, man. Wow. I'm so glad I didn't make the movie. <laughs> Would you mind going back through the annals of time and tell me how you first met and what it was like first getting to know each other? We met uh, at a restaurant by like 3rd Street in Fairfax. Yeah. We both have the same agent. Um, I was reluctant to read the script just because it's so hard to pitch a guy and his teddy bear, you know, and I was like trying to be Joe Schmo, serious actor. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. But then I heard from other people how good the script was. So I started reading it and I literally had the same reaction that I had when reading the first 35 pages of Boogie Nights. It was like, you put it down and you're like, Oh man, this could be re if executed properly. This could be really good, and uh, so I said, "All right, all right, you know, can we get a meeting?" And we met and we had lunch, and uh, he felt about me. But I was like, "I know this guy can actually kill this thing, and uh, I'd love to be in it." I told him right there on the spot that I would, I would love to be in it. Wow! And you know, I mean, for 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 me, it was it was from the get go. We we wanted this to be a real relationship. We wanted this to be something that that comedy aside you could you could buy as two pals who are as real as any two human humans and and uh and mark was in addition to the to the ability to do boston mark was kind of that perfect balance for us because he's great at comedy and he's great at drama and it's like that that was kind of you needed that entire palette to work with for this and and I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. That when when you look at the when you look at the footage of of the movie before the bear was inserted, where it's just Mark on the couch talking to empty space, it's almost as if there is something there. It's his he he sells it so beautifully to the audience that when the bear goes in, it, it just it, in a way it seems like it was always there. And and you know no matter how good that effect is, if your actor isn't giving you that you're you're sunk it's 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 so vitally important and, and not only did he 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 bring it but he just he, he brought it even more than than we ever possibly could have hoped for well the first question i posed to seth was you know i i mean i could only play this real sure. you know i don't want to be winking at the camera and you know the audience is like if you if, you know we can make it real then i i feel like i could do it and he said that's the only thing i want to do and that was that was pretty much it right there in the first film, you have a very violent fight scene, uh, which, when you see it without Ted in there, is just majestic. It's like ballet. Like, how is he? It's, that's right? another. That's pretty amazing. Like, again, this is a testament to this guy because he can beat himself. It's, up like it's, no one else. The, again, like if you watch the footage before the bear goes in, and it's Mark with a stuffed arm, or Mark with a stuffed torso, or Mark with nothing playing against mm-hmm. air. It's it's it all, all. You can see where all the pieces are going to go, and and. 
you know, the, the, the guy can do physical. There's a scene in Ted 2 where, where Amanda's making a phone call and in the background, yeah. you see John and Ted fighting over a beer. That's, that's, it's all Mark knowing exactly where the bear is going to be at every second. And, uh, you know, for, for, for somebody who can act as well as he can, who can do the fast verbal comedy as well as he can, and in addition to that can do physical comedy, I mean, fuck you. <laughs> Watch out, Dane Cook. <laughs> well, I'm coming. <laughs> Am I right in saying that Mark in One Guys was in Family Guy before you guys even met? in terms of taking the mick out of Mark, is that right? Or was it his voice that was in it? Did you ever do Family Guy? You never gave me no job, man. <laughs> <laughs> you just made fun of me. <laughs> so before you'd even met, you'd Even in the script, when I first read Ted 1, there were, there were jokes about me in the movie. It was like, yeah, this is the place where Mark Wahlberg beat up his first kid. You know? <laughs> and you hadn't written it with him in mind, right? That just happened we, to be. Yeah, yeah. Sure. We we were we were you know, it's again, there 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 are people you 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 want to be careful with cuz they can, <laughs> you know, you know they're not going to be able to take it, but Mark, you know, Mark's he's, he's he's got a thick skin and a great sense of humor, so it's the, the, we we were we were fine. Well, and Amanda that outdid me. Yeah. With her <laughs> sense of humor and her ability to be poked fun at. I remember we were sitting there in the table read and I don't know if she had read the script up until that point, because when we got to the, you know, the fuck me eyes thing, and she goes, do I have fuck me eyes? Thing? eyes? And you're like, no, you go, where's the ring, precious, whatever it is. And she, and she literally, she went, what? And like, it was like, holy shit. And I was laughing, and then I was like trying not to laugh, because I was like, she, she has beautiful eyes, and she, uh, she has a great sense of humor. You know, if, if you look at it like episodes of television, where if you have your comedic ensemble, and they're great, and they're all funny, you can do a thousand stories. And that's kind of the way I, I look at these characters. You can put them in any situation and you're going to find ways to make it funny. They're going to make it funny. You have three characters and, and two live actors who are able to, to, to make it all work. And also dance in unison yeah. to the breakfast club. Was that a life ambition, Mark? Uh, no, I don't like to dance. But the choreographer was quite nice. <laughs> it was very helpful. We had a, no, we had a, you need more on the elbow. Come on, pull it back. I think we did have an on-set choreographer for that scene. Yeah. That's amazing. So for the both of you guys, there's a lot on your plate. Could you tell me a little bit about what you've got coming up for the both of you? Well, I just did a, a movie with Will Ferrell mm -hmm. called Daddy's Home. comes out Christmas Day, and I'm shooting a movie right now with um, Pete Berg, who I did Lone Survivor, sure. Deep, Deep Water Horizon, about the oil rig disaster in 2010 where 11 people lost their lives. Um, so the people at BP might not be too happy. Hey, it is what it is. We, have, we want to tell the real story of the actual, the human uh, aspect of the story. Um, I know a lot of fish died and all the fish people will be mad. Me saying that, but we're going to focus on the people. You know, for the first time in my career, I, I, have, I have deliberately not scheduled anything immediately following this movie. I, I haven't had a vacation in about... 10 years and so what are you going to do with yourself gonna I'm going to go? take a few months off and then figure out where are you going to go what I want to do next uh, probably hide in my house <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite hobby too thank you so much for taking the time uh, enjoy the rest of the press bonanza thank you thank you the big news is that there's going to be a new Star Wars movie now you might expect that the announcement of a new Star Wars movie might come at Comic Con because Star Wars is going to be here Marvel's not here Paramount isn't here, Sony isn't here, so there are some big names that just aren't at the con this year. But the Star Wars 
are. And yet, here comes the news that Chris Miller and Philip Lord, you might know them as the director, writers of uh, 21 Jump Street. Actually, they didn't write them, but they were kind of obviously creatively part of the writing process for 21 and 22 Jump Street, the Lego movie, and the film that made them, I guess, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, now the origin movie for Han Solo. That's quite something. I love them. You may have heard my interview with Chris Hewitt. Uh, was it last year? Yes, it would be last year. Or maybe earlier this year in honour of uh, the, the BAFTA support for the Lego movie, which did extraordinarily well. But they're now going to be directing a Han Solo film. Now, Helen, in podcasts gone by, has said her piece on what it is to take a mysterious, exciting, sexy, curious character like Han Solo and then kind of explain how he came to be. But if there's a pair of safe hands... I'd agree with you entirely. Their rise has been astronomical. They have made so much money and created such creative, funny, different stuff. They've taken IPs and injected love and humour and excitement and passion. They've made you use the the phrase IP. And they've gone away with it. Like a weirdo. Like, you know, so many people do one for them, do one for us. I'm going to do this little movie for me, do a big movie for them. They've just been making the movies they wanted to make and... People have been watching them and they've been brilliant. Yes. Like, I'm a total fanboy here, so I'm yes. very much excited. Yes. I think they're hilarious. I Everything they've done has been just sort of off the wall and, and just a little deranged. And they, 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 they've said that they want to take risks with this, which I think is really important because if it was just a really stolid kind of join the dots origin story about Han Solo, I think that would be kind of boring. Um, I think... If it makes sort of news make, and similar with the Indiana Jones. It makes me feel a little, get a little sort of bipolar about it. One minute it's like in my mind, do, do we need this? Does it help to know more about the origins of this character? And then part of me is like, geez, it's going to be fun though, isn't it? It's going to be, it's going to be a ride if mm. they get the costume right. Who do you cast if you can't get the right hand solo? Yeah, this is just going to fall apart before it begins. I wonder if they had this conversation before the first Star Wars was cast. If you don't get Han Solo right, they probably did because it is such an he's such an important character, even in that film right from the very beginning. Um, it, yeah, it's a big one. It is a big one because there's going to be a lot of people who whoever it is and whatever a great job they do, they're going to hate it because it's not Harrison Ford. Um, but in terms of like the directors, Lord and Miller are fantastic. They're not obviously writing this one. Um, that's Lawrence and John Kasdan. So that's interesting because I like their writing. A lot. But, and yet, you know, I mentioned it earlier, 21 and 22 Jump Street, they didn't write. No, I know. But you know their hands are on the script. You know that they'll, they'll have a part yes. of what it becomes. And I think they've also got a good sort of like gritty flair for editing and, and visual jokes. Whether there's going to be, I mean, obviously, obviously Han Solo is a, is a funny character full of like throwaway, quite quippy. Mm-hmm. And so th- that might mesh well with their comic sensibilities. But I've thought in my head, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, or at least I hope you will, that he's quite a mature character. I remember thinking he was so cool because he knew what he was doing. When he emerged from Carbonite, there was certainly a moment of real, you know, there's real vulnerability there, isn't there? Well, I you mean, say that, but before he got into Carbonite, he delivers the quippiest quip. Yeah, before, but then afterwards, he's not quipping anymore, is he? Yeah, well, that's... Literally, Jabba's people are going, you're not quipping anymore. They, they sang, you're not quipping, you're not... It was pretty embarrassing for him. It was an unusual football chant in the middle of an otherwise 
<laughs> reasonably somber moment. Can I read you the quote that they've they've delivered do, yeah. in the, in the news for this? This is the first film we've worked on that seems like a good idea to begin with. We promise to take risks to give the audience a fresh experience, and we pledge ourselves to be faithful stewards of these characters who mean so much to us. This is a dream come true, and not the kind of dream where you're late for work and all your clothes are made of pudding, but the kind of dream where you get to make a film with some of the greatest characters ever in a film franchise you've loved since before you can remember having dreams at all. First of all, I'm so glad there's a Star Wars press release that contains the word pudding. Obviously, they seem to be saying characters, characters, characters. Who are they going to cast as young Chewie? Oh, uh, Furbacker. Great idea. Maybe. One of the Furbies. I'm not sure. But this does mean that they will probably not be directing 23 Jump Street. No, they were always a bit 50-50 which about that. Is, which is, I think... In- yeah, I wonder if the franchise, if that particular franchise, can sustain without them. Um, they're also linked to the Flash, the animated Flash movie, which I can't wait to see their take on. They're also overseeing all of the Lego verse, what with Lego Batman and Injago and the Lego Movie Two. So I love that they're getting this much work, and if it allows me to have more time talking to them, uh, I'd be grateful. I just wish they'd just answer my calls. I keep talking to them when I'm drunk. But unfortunately, I don't have their email, so I'm no. guessing every time. Send them to Woody Harrelson. Reading between the lines, I think this is why they've done this, Ali, to give you that opportunity. Because they're definitely going to be, obviously... Well, this really is absolutely fantastic. It news. is. I wonder if they'll show up for the Star Wars panel in Hall H tomorrow night. Oh, don't tease me. Tonight, even. Uh, depending on when you listen to this. I feel like I'm an Instella now. I feel like Jessica Chastain in Instella. I don't know what, where I... You... Well, I'm certainly about to cry, so that would make Good sense. Good stuff. Is it worth talking about... Batman standalone movie? Is that something people, people yeah, want to see? Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, we've got Ben Affleck. You might have heard of him. He wants to make uh, our Gotham uh, in, uh, in a new Batman standalone movie, presumably, in fact, definitely set after the events of Dawn of Justice. So he is he directing it or is he just co-writing it? He's currently working on his second Dennis Lehane adaptation as a director, uh, Live by Night. Um, so this would be... His next, potentially his next directorial gig, if he gets it after after that. Yeah, it's not out of a question. It's no, it's just, not. It's just currently it has been announced that he will be co-writing this with... With Jeff Johns, who's the chief creative officer of DC, uh, and the man who's behind um, some of the great runs of Green Lantern, Aquaman, and obviously Batman as well. Um, and the two of them apparently struck off a, a, a rich creative partnership. So they obviously enjoyed working together and will be setting to work on this one. Uh, with with a start date, I think yet to be confirmed. Obviously, but um, yeah, this is going to come after the Justice League movie, isn't it? As well. Yes. So you're going to have Batman versus Superman, which we'll be hearing about here at Comic Con on Saturday, the big Warner Brothers panel. Um, I'm sure that that Ben Affleck will be here for that, and we'll be talking about this. So there'll probably be more news to emerge, but. That will be followed by the Justice League movie, followed by the standalone Batman movie. Um, and I, I guess what's interesting is that people are always saying that the, the DC verse doesn't have the coherent stru- strategy that the that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has. It all seems a bit piecemeal. This probably wouldn't buck that trend, but it does show that they've got, you know, that they've got their future plans locked in, even if we're not quite sure what we're working towards. Yeah. Is that fair? I think that's Is that fair. unfair? No. I think it's fair. I mean, but this is probably the more traditional way of doing it. Marvel maybe unusually kind of 
sort of well... Precognizant. Well, yeah, precognizant. Let's use that word, because okay. we're so tired. Yes. Spider-Man... Let's, well, let's keep things blockbustery, because this is the Comic-Con yes, podcast. Yes, absolutely. Well, they wanted to cast Auntie May, but they needed someone with the word Did May you? in their name, so they've gone with Marissa Tomei, and that's all the news, really. In my head, because you said Auntie May instead of Aunt May, suddenly this is a British Spider-Man, because Tom Hollander is our Spider-Man. It is. Uh, not Tom Hollander. Tom Holland. Tom, Tom Holland. Tom, yes, Tom, we've made that mistake before. We've made that mistake slash joke. I mean joke, definitely a joke, before Marissa Tomei, who some people are saying is too young. She is young. but and, and She is, but bear in mm. mind that this Spider-Man is 16. Oh, so yeah. it's not really that surprising that you have a late 40s aunt. Why is that too young? That seems reasonable, actually, when you put it like that. When you actually do some numbers... I'm no longer outraged, Ali. That's great news. You've de-outraged me. I've de-outraged So this is a Spider-Man that's set entirely in Surrey? Is that that's correct? That's correct. Auntie May and uh, Uncle Ben Cobham, is... right. Yes, I thought it was going to be Isha, but that's fine. Oh, Isha, okay. In that area. Um, yeah, I like Marissa Tomei. She's not in enough movies for me. I agree. She won that Oscar, didn't she, for My Cousin Vinny? My Cousin Vinny, My Aunt May. Her Aunt May. She's going through all the family. So I think this is... A good casting. I don't really have a strong opinion on the whole thing at this point, but they seem to be getting these decisions right. Yeah, this um, is this is an offering at the moment. They've offered it to her, and she's. Uh, they are waiting pr- her probable. To be honest with you, this is a this is a great gig. Acceptance. I wonder whether if we are going to see Spider Man, and this is a maybe, but a probably, if we are going to see Spider Man in the Civil War movie, which is still kind of going on right now, will she be in it? No. You think no? No, because they need at least one actor or actress that isn't in the film. Oh, they need just one actor. Right, got it, yeah. Just to keep lookout. Yeah, just I just don't, I don't think that film can sustain any more characters. <laughs> Surely it's a one-in, one-out thing now. It's at full capacity. It's like Hall H. Right. It's time for the science bit of the Empire podcast, where Ali, our editor, tells us all about how you make your life better with a bit of Squarespace. So I am in a very weird moment in my life, passing myself over to myself. This is my job. I get paid to do this. Anyway, do enjoy, and we'll see you in about a minute. Yes, it's Science Bit time with your friendly, local, regular editor, Ali Plum. Squarespace, of course, is the fun and easy way of creating your own personal website, portfolio, or online store. And guess what? You get a 10% off code with Empire. The word to put into the coupon box is empire empire e-m-p-i-r-e it looks professionally designed no matter what your skill level there's no coding required easy to use tools throughout it's got state-of-the-art technology powering it to make sure it's secure and stable and not going to like fall over in the middle of the night it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world and it starts at just eight dollars a month you can work it out i think about five pounds is about right a month and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year so start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com when you do decide to sign up for squarespace remember empire is the offer code 10 percent off your first purchase Squarespace, as they say, build it beautiful. Thank you for listening not only to this science bit, but to the podcast generally. Please enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled programme. That was the science bit of the Empire podcast, which of course is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, it's now time for the review section, which is brought to you by Phil and Ali. Hi. Hello. I'm still Ali. us. Still us, still here. Perking up. No one else has come in. Nope. We've certainly not slapped each other to wake each other up. Not yet. Uh, but I am hitting my foot against the floor just to 
remind myself I'm awake. Time to review Ted 2. Mm. The sequel to Ted, which came out, what was it? Oh, that feels like three years ago. Three years ago, yeah, three years ago. And was a smash. uh, The story of a bear that came to life after a young Mark Wahlberg wished it to happen. And with a really funny opening intro from Patrick Stewart, this Seth MacFarlane movie, which had a lot of similar comedy setups uh, to his uh, cartoon show, Family Guy with the cutaways and the, and the flashbacks and the pop culture references and the, and the general sense of rudeness, this was an R-rated comedy that took a silly, childish idea of a bear coming to life and made it a sweary, hairy bastard bear. And it worked. And it wasn't just because we had a beer or two before we watched the movie. It was a good, fun, a bit dumb movie. Lots of jokes in it. Correct. Did the job. This movie, not so much. I didn't walk into this film thinking it was going to be the next Woody Allen special. I didn't think it was going to be anything too amazing. But even then, I did feel a bit disappointed with what they could have done as a sequel. Allow me to explain the plot of this. Because as we mentioned in the interview, this is essentially a courtroom comedy. So on top of that, it's a courtroom it's a courtroom civil rights comedy. This is a genre that didn't exist until this film was made, but there you have it. Ted discovers after he uh, recently gets married to his girlfriend, Tammy Lynn, that if he wants to have a child, and this is all through red tape, he essentially has to be a human being. Because as a talking, walking bear that swears a lot, that doesn't give you the right to be represented as a human in society. So he decides to hire a lawyer to help him prove himself to be somebody worthy of having a child. He can't get the best lawyer, but he does get a pretty good lawyer in the form of Amanda Seyfried, who is there to help out um, and uh, smoke a lot of weed because, of course... And the three of them, Mark Wahlberg, who's divorced his, uh, his wife, uh, who was played in the first movie, by Mila Kunis, who is not in... She is Sir not appearing in this movie. Lady of the Lake not appearing in this movie. They kind of have a frisson. There's a, there's a sexual something between uh, Amanda and Mark here, despite the age gap. And they challenge uh, the law and uh, the evil bastard lawyer who's played by John Slattery uh, from Mad Men with his his gorgeous shock of white hair god he's so handsome anyway so that's essentially the story in amongst all that there's trips to a sperm clinic uh lots of bong hitting a mini road trip all sorts you also heard in the interview that the first idea for this film was going to be a cross-country road trip where the two of them the two characters the two leads would have to transport some drugs across the USA, Seth MacFarlane thought he'd do something different, and he thought he'd do this. I didn't think it worked. I'll tell you more about it, but Phil, I want to hear your thoughts. My thoughts are, well, I think I liked it more than you, and more than our reviewer, a little bit. I mean, I laughed a fair few times. The one thing I like about Seth MacFarlane is he kind of, he really commits to stuff. And yeah, it's kind of tasteless, but because he commits... He he commits to the bit. Because he commits to it, it, he he gets away with it. There's a sequence where... They're, everyone's feeling a bit down because this whole sort of 12 years of bear thing isn't playing out very well for them. And they decide to go to comedy improv night to shout inappropriate suggestions at the comedians. 
Um, it's like the Holocaust. It is kind of yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's very funny. And, and just, it's really funny. I mean, as, it's terrible, as, but it's hilarious. Just as, this disembodied voice coming from the back of the audience shouting out things like nine eleven. And but, I mean, it's not funny to say it on the podcast, but when you're in the film, it's. It, I mean, it, it's it works outrageously the, tasteless. It's the guy who's hosting a comedy night, and yes. I, like, this is just an example of a bit of good humour. And I totally agree with you. I thought this was hilarious. The guy hosting the prov- improv night, and if you've ever been to one, this happens every time. The guy goes, "Did someone say Starbucks?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah. yes. And then he shouts in a way that no one ever would. No one said Starbucks. <laughs> It's so true. I think this is why I like Seth MacFarlane sometimes. It's not the fact that they're shouting out ridiculous things, offensive things from the back. It's the reaction of the guy in the improv troupe that's so funny. It's it's this earnestness and the way that they they just can't deal with this. And he's got quite an acute eye for sort of observational comedy at times. And then, but then, you know, other times like the sperm bank joke where Mark Wahlberg goes in and it's very old school kind of slapstick pratfall and he ends up covered. It's real where's my washboard? Covered in in sperm. Um, But then he kind of ruins it by going over and making some sort of sickle cell stem cell joke which is just really tasteless there is a tendency to be like a not a one-two punch but a four five yeah maybe 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 you hit it with a joke and then you hit 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 yes hit and you you go yeah that it's yeah yeah well i think maybe i'm contradicting myself that he he does commit but sometimes over commits as well but i think that applies to the plot it's too plotty the courtroom the courtroom comedy thing is just i mean courtrooms intrinsically aren't funny and i would go so far as to say they're not that cinematic anymore because they've just been played out yeah the good wife is doing it too well here every single yeah you just sort of it's just there's not a lot there's nowhere really to go with the courtroom stuff so to build a a movie around it even if you've got people like john slattery and morgan freeman morgan freeman morgan freeman to let's just say it again morgan freeman morgan freeman yes to do this stuff it's still pretty dull and it sort of it kind of lurches from one thing to another, this movie, in a way that the first one seemed to know what it was doing much more clearly. There's a very funny Liam Neeson cameo, which uh, I won't give away, which made me laugh a lot. And a really bizarre sort of Buzz Barkley-style opening credit sequence, song and dance, old school, which I actually really liked. I, I'll review singles out as, as a problem in the film, but I thought it was, I it was quite fun, if, if completely irrelevant to the rest of the movie. I think it's indicative of, of the film, which is... I am not above some silliness for silliness's sake, especially, obviously, in a comedy. But this is, I'd say, about three or four minutes long, mm. where it is just, as you say, a Busby Berkeley dance number, yeah. where Ted is with a humongous troupe of dancing boys and girls. And you do, after the third minute, talking about overcommitting to the bit, go... Is this still going on? I mean, yeah, it's it's th- that's true of the whole movie. It's too long. I would say you get in and get out with this stuff. There's bits where they're on this road trip, and you're like, is it ever going to end? I mean, it made me think that obviously was what the movie wanted to be, mm. and it seems to get its groove back a bit, and it keeps going in and out of the groove. I agree with you. This film is by no means yes the worst film I've ever seen, not by a long chalk. It's it's definitely got its moments but that's all it has it has its moments but i think in of itself it's a flawed conceit we talked again on the interview about how there was a big uh, david hasselhoff section where they go they, they, they do go in the movie to new york comic-con uh speak of where we are right now we should new never york. mention new york comic-con it's terrible it's the voldemort of uh, of san diego anyway 
the fact that David Hasselhoff was in and did this huge, not huge bit, but he did this whole scene or two in the Comic-Con and that just got cut out because the movie was too long. It's telling. The movie is too long as it is and I can't imagine what the, the first cut would have been. But there you have it. Ted 2 gets... I, look, I would I would be more generous than a two myself, but I, I can certainly see why we've given it two. And, uh, you know, for, it's not done brilliantly at the box office either, so this could be the end of the road for Ted. It's so funny how that happened, because you would have thought this was a, was a signed, sealed, delivered number, but I suppose perhaps A Million Ways to Die in the West... Yeah, some did, of the luster has, has, has certainly worn off the sort of Seth MacFarlane bandwagon um, with that film in particular. But, you know, I, I laughed a bunch of times in this film. So and the, mov- got- the movie's also trapped in the same way that a lot of films have been trapped in the past month, which is by the lumbering, gigantic, indominus Rex in the room. Yes. Uh, Jurassic World has just been sitting on the box office for a month now. And last week, in a rare twist, uh, it was a close enough game that Inside Out was originally reported as coming second in the US box office and actually snuck in to first at the last moment because in its fourth week, Jurassic World was still so strong and Ted 2 came out in the middle of that. Well, they've managed to make a Jurassic Park marijuana joke in this movie, Ted 2. Yeah. So, you know, it, if you can't beat them, join them, I guess. I suppose so. Join to them. <laughs> Humour. Sorry, that joke was a bit blunt. Okay, so I've just, got... just give them more time to laugh. Okay. Give them, just, just give them... I think they've done. Oh, you think they're done? I think everyone's done laughing. Okay, what are we going to talk about now? Well, I think we should quickly talk about Song of the Sea, because we've given this film five stars, and I don't think we can give any more stars to a film. Hang so... on, let me, no, let me just check. No. No, you can't give any more. Fantastic. Which Correct. button did you just press? Uh, um, the, the check. The check star rating button on your keyboard. Uh, we've given it the maximum... Um, and it, it's this is Tom Moore, Tom with two M's, um, the Irish uh, filmmaker and animator who directed The Secret of Kells, and it's another Gaelic tale, this time of uh, of a brother and sister, Saoirse, who's a six-year-old, Selkie, so she's half human and half seal. Um, she's lost her mother, and she lives with her brother, Ben, in a lighthouse that is run by Brendan Gleeson's lighthouse keeper. Of their father, uh, and it basically ends on them going on an adventure to the city and finding themselves in in a in a giant sort of whirl of of mythology and and adventure uh, involving these kind of villainous owls and witches and uh, and the in these creatures that need to be restored to their sort of natural place. So a lot of the things you might expect in kind of lore and fairy tale. Uh, runs through this film and uh, it's just a lovely lovely piece of sort of traditional animation and a real just a great yarn I think it's something that the adults and kids equally would respond to it's got a lovely sense of place and a nice soundtrack Um, it's not too clanad which it could have been and um, it's it's a very very old school piece of animation um oscar nominated this is one of the films that got the 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 pip leg the lego movie which is this seems to still create create uh fury at large the lego movie didn't get a a, a nomination in the best animations category this year's oscars um but this movie deserves its place in in there and it's to more second oscar nomination um from this two two, yeah in two years after Kells uh so five stars and it's kind of I guess you could call it a sort of Irish studio studio Ghibli kind of uh joint 
affair. So, a uh, big recommendation, huge recommendation from us. To be honest with you, Phil, you had me at half girl, half seal. Yes. Not, you know, not seal, the the killer singer. No. Okay. In, you mean the animal. Yes, the animal. So did I. Great. Great. No, no, I really do honestly think this is a truly beautiful film. Uh, the... The design, I was about to say the design, I don't mean the design. The animation, the hand-drawn style is just mm. it's just stunning. And uh, yeah, well worth a watch. If it's on near where you are, do check it out. It may not be on where you are. Is so it Key Cities? It's a Key Cities. Key Lighthouses. Yes, select cinemas. Well, I hope it is. I hope it gets a bigger release because it, it definitely deserves it. And it does that thing that you know, great sort of, coming of age animations as it really captures something universal about growing up and you know not we weren't all half seal i mean i was but it captures the sort of the 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 hugeness the enormity of the world around and 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 finding your place in it and you know risking to 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 find something kind of special and uh it's really lovely it's emotional and um and like you say it's beautifully beautifully handcrafted it's it makes me think that it's the movie that uh, andre could have been of course the movie that had a young girl make start a friendship uh, with a sea lion do check it out one of the uh, early 90s greatest uh subpar uh, children's movies anyway song of the sea five empire stars correct I think it's also worth mentioning another film we really love this week, which is Dear White People. Yes, not the most typical movie title there's ever been. Not that Song of the Sea is your typical movie title, but Dear White People seems to be saying something. What is it? What is it, what is it saying? Well, it's saying many things um, about, I guess, liberal white person's guilt, uh, prejudice, racism... Life in, I guess, not just modern America, but 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 um, but kind of across the world, and but it's set in a in a Ivy League university, a fictional Ivy League university called cool. Winchester. Winchester University. Which After is a, Dean Winchester, which is a Winchester, you know, Winchester University is a Winchester University in England, but it's not obviously that one. Is it? Yeah, that's the university. Is there? Okay, well, it's not that one. It's not, it's not set in. No, it's not set in Hampshire. No, it's set in America. And um, it's directed by Justin Simeon, written and directed by him. And it's about a woman called Sam, who's played by Tessa Thompson, who is a, I guess you could say she's sort of, um, she's a fiery um, student who basically goes on goes on to the radio, the student radio, and, and kind of makes, points out some home truths, I guess you could say, about, about white attitudes towards black people and towards society and racism and such like. But it's very, very funny. It's kind of a pungent satire, a little bit in the spirit of Alexander Payne's election. And uh, we really like this film. Yeah. Um, check out the trailer. The trailer is hilarious as well gives you a flavor of what to expect it's i guess if it has any shortcomings it's that it's more of a collection of of kind of skits rather than a cohesive whole but the skits are hilarious and the co- the, the, the comedy is very well observed um and we've given it four stars yeah it's also based well it's not based on a twitter feed but it was when the director was coming together with the project he started at dear white people so check that out on twitter for again more of what to expect but that again chimes with what you're saying this is kind of a staccato film that kind of makes its punchy comments one by one but it isn't you could call it a bit baggy in that way it's it's just not a a, a true film in the set, traditional sense of what it is but uh but it's different and it's special and it's very funny it's very funny and, and uh yeah a big recommendation from us for that four stars 
four stars for Dear White People. Again, that's going to be another Key Cities one. And there's a film this week about Brian Wilson. Yes, um, which you kind of want to be... You want to call it the Brian Wilson movie because it's easier to remember. But as much as I'm excited to see this film, Love and Mercy is just the name of a film, isn't it? It is not a great... That is not a great film title. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know no, I'm although, about film although, although, yes, you are. Oh, you do, in fairness. Although, is is that a Beach Boys or Brian Wilson-based... Are we missing something important here? Is it a reference? It's probably a reference to something that's going to sure make us... People are going to write in and go, Ali and Phil. There's a song called You're Love right, a couple yeah, of idiots. Sure. There's songs called... There's an album. His book's called Love and Mercy. Yeah. His mum was called Love. Love His dad was called Mercy. There's so many reasons why this film should be called Love and Mercy. But I agree, it does feel a bit... A bit sort of bland. Cheese and chips. Cheese and chips. Surf and Safari I'd go and see in a hobby. Surf and Turf? Surf and Turf. Not a Beach Boys song, but delicious. So, but I mean, what do we think of it? Yes, Love and Mercy gets gets the four stars before we get started. It does get the four stars from Empire. Uh, it's interesting insofar as that it is a split time narrative with two leads. In. Who, who plays? So who plays the two? Well, the older and you might see one of the film's problems here. They don't really look <laughs> anything alike each other, but they are both. He great did actors. take a lot of drugs in fairness. And yes, people's people change physically. <laughs> Uh, Beach Boys genius Brian Wilson, John Cusack in the in the later era, has two moments in his life, his creative heyday in the 60s, and then also the 80s, where you see John Cusack version, but in the 60s, it's Paul Dano or Dano. I always get it wrong, and I'll never get it right. Uh, it's a thoughtful portrait of the genius behind the Beach Boys, and it does deal with their famous rivalry with the Beatles, though the Beatles aren't present in the film. It is about in the 60s heyday, the desire and, and 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 fire in his belly when he was going, let's let's not use a piano, let's hit a piano with another piano, let's put these flowers in a blender and see what music that makes. You know, obviously they didn't do that, but you take my point. They were very experimental and exciting yes. and, and different. And it's the sign of a man who, you know, has problems in his mind. And mm. he, in his older age, has to take medication mm. to numb himself but that mutes the creative genius yeah. that's inside him and you see the wonderful Elizabeth Banks who obviously has recently done so well directing Pitch Perfect 2 she plays the, the woman that comes into his life uh, in the later era with John Cusack uh, and tries to bring him back tries to he tries to stop him from taking these drugs that, that slow him, that that reduce him. She's like a June Carter to his yes. Johnny Cash. I, that would be very generous, but yes, th yeah. Right. There, there is certainly a lot of that. It's an interesting, I mean, he's a, such a fascinating guy. And like you say, he did create an entire sound in music, didn't he? With pet sounds and, 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 and that kind of garage um, production. And um, just an incredible pioneer and he sort of continues to be that really yeah you know he's done albums in the last decade that have been in their own way pretty different pretty, pretty different and, and uh that genius and the sort of the balance between genius and sanity um and, and towing that line it's always fascinating you know when you see films like amadeus yeah um so is it that sort of thing it's a little bit it's it's centers on pet sounds as i say which is the album mm. and there's a certain amount of that's how they made good vibrations by shouting at cellists. I can see that. 
Yes. I, I, well, it worked because it's one of the best songs that's ever been ever recorded. So, you know, sometimes you need to be a little bit off to make things... To be on. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's not the tagline, though, is it? No, it's not, no. It's well-acted, interesting story. I do suspect it's just going to go... You know, it might not get the recognition it deserves, but again, worth searching for, especially if you're a fan of the Beach Boys. Difficult story to tell, and they've pulled it off. Do they have the rights to the music? Yes, the music in this is spectacular. They they have the rights to it, and uh, they they kind of... I was about to say milk it for all it's worth, but it's very much prevalent in, in the film. Yes. And there's a, there's a lovely moment when Elizabeth Banks' character realises that it is Brian Wilson, because when they first meet, he isn't aware... She isn't aware that this is who it is. So look forward to that. Um, uh, it's also got, just to get even more excited about it, Paul Giamatti as the agent come, uh, a, not assistant, but the um, the manager of the later Brian. So yeah, do check it out. Four stars from Empire. Now, are there any movies you'd like to talk about? Or are we already happy? The Human Centipede, that's a film. The Choir, starring Dustin Hoffman, that gets three stars. Human Centipede 3, which I'm just going to mention because, A, it's The Human Centipede 3, and, um, you know, we all deserve a warning uh, in our lives. But Kim Newman, who knows his horror, had a very interesting line in the way he reviewed this film. He gave it four stars. Okay, so let's just begin with that. Uh, But I think this is one of those weird four stars. And I'll read from it, because I I just want to get it right. And I haven't seen the film. The finale of Tom Six's The Human Centipede trilogy is the kind of film that defies star rating logic. For the closing chapter, this teams the stars of the earlier sequences as new characters, uh, being a maniac prison governor and his sweaty minion, think a resoundingly evil Abbott and Costello, who consults Six, wittily playing himself, for a centipede-related solution to their inmate discipline problem. Violent, profane, scurrilous, obnoxious, hilarious if you're in a weird mood and so self-aware it's nearly beyond criticism. This fuses shock tactics of avant-garde drama with 70s exploitation. This has to be the end. I wonder whether it's going to be one of those um, trilogies of four parts, uh, but this hopefully will be the final nail in the in the centipede coffin but, but yes. I mean, if being self-aware in itself immunized you from criticism then we would have given ted two five stars i imagine and you'd give me five stars i'd give you probably still four oh. max yeah i it seems to have gone like people seem to have finally kind of warmed to, to this whole thing i mean it's, we're not the only ones to have given this a positive review there's 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 more positivity for this film. The others seem to be, you know, reacted with only revulsion. And I almost wish that either you or I had seen some of these films, but it's just so not my thing. I don't want to see it particularly. Um, I had a horrible what experience. What sort of a film journalist am I? I just... No, you're someone that, you know, you, you can you can be a human being here and just say, I don't want to see a film. I mean, that's perfectly within your remit. I will never see a film like this. This is just beyond what I could ever imagine wanting to do. But my housemate at one point, God bless him, Tolly, was curious enough when it was on Netflix to watch it. And I retreated with a bang as my feet hit the floor and I scarpered out to my bedroom. Unfortunately, it's a very small flat. Uh, I'm not a rich man. And I could hear the sound of the Human Centipede film. That was worse than watching it. <laughs> yeah, bad. If I'd watched it, yes, I would have gone, this is, a, this is appalling, but not as bad as I imagined. Yes. Hearing it was, like, just mind-bogglingly bad. 
In short, whatever you do, either watch this film or don't. What you shouldn't do is sit near the film being watched by someone else. What would you rather do if you had to? Watch a film with no sound or listen to it with no picture? For the human centipede? Just for any film. Any film? Yes. Well, Let's I, see. Okay, here we go. Here Ghostbusters. Go. The General, I'd probably go without the sound. Oh, you're right. Good, yes. Yeah. Okay. Very Seeing good. the rain... Yes. I'm probably going to go for it if I had to. Okay. Without the image. This is a question sort of begat by sleep deprivation on an almost nuclear scale. And on that note, we should mention our other sponsor, Squarespace. Uh, of course, this has been a Squarespace-sponsored program as well as sleep deprivation. Uh, and don't forget that the password slash sponsor credit for 10% off uh, squarespace.com is Empire, E-M-P-I-R-E. That was a segue and the world's just going to have to deal with it. Uh, you've been Phil Phil that's right I've been Ali is that right yep and we've both been very tired thank you for listening to the Empire Podcast here in San Diego I'm about to edit it and then send it over the internet back to London I know right crazy it's Thursday night here but it's just turning into Friday morning over in the UK time is an amazing thing Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back with a more normal episode of the podcast next week where we will be joined by some awesome people. I'm not quite sure yet because we have to rearrange times, but it may well be Jake Gillenhall. Gillenhaller. Gillenhaller. That was an interview with me, so look forward to that. And that was done not after a weird press conference. Uh, And you will get to hear Jake Gillenhall eat a sandwich on air. Wow. You don't get that on uh, other rival podcasts? Apart from the... Gyllenhaal sandwich you would bring that podcast. up podcast you would bring that up mm, sorry anyway yes that was us thanks yeah. for listening uh, I'm off to go to sleep no I'm off to edit the podcast thanks for <laughs> listening guys bye